Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Greedy, lying bastard, that's a title that will get your attention, exposes the insidious domination of the fossil fuel industry. Um, the filmmakers pursue a trail of environmental destruction, illness, and death. And this is a documentary that is almost finished, and the crew, the editors, are working very, very hard on making some really great changes, and then the film will be available for market. And today we have the co-writer and editor of the new documentary, and his name is Patrick Gambuti, Jr., and we're happy to have you, Patrick. Good morning, Cindy. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate having you on the show. I know that um, you've been working on this film, you know, for it's a part of you. You've been working on it for some <laughs> time. I know that you have other projects, and we'll talk, to them, talk about them a little later. Sure. Um, but it's... It's interesting how the world is changing so very quickly. In fact, it's changing so quickly that you guys, uh, you know, the crew, has to keep up with the changes because it's just happening so rapidly. Yeah, it's really, with this kind of documentary, it's really important to keep, to keep it as current as you can because once you, once you stop working on it and you finish it up, then anything that happens, you know, you can't include, obviously. So you just try to keep it as up-to-date as possible to the very end. So it really requires an extra amount of effort, uh, you know, number one, to kind of follow up with everything that's going on continuously and then figuring out what's, you know, critical to include into the documentary. And if something big happens, then what does that do to change the nature of the documentary or sections in it, um, you know, to reflect those things that are going on. No, and I think you guys are doing a really great job. It was, uh, you know, nice to see, you know, the last version of the film, and we had a little sneak peek in Hollywood. And um, I, I think that when you have these industry screenings, in addition to having, you know, consumer test screenings, it really gives you guys particularly, you know, in your role as co-writer and editor, a lot of live good feedback. And that kind of goes on behind the scenes, you know, many, many times before a film is born. 
Yeah, it's really important to find out because you kind of, you know, you can tend to get lost in it. You're so close to it. It's like your nose is up against the glass, you know, and the steam is rising from the vapor from your exhaling, and you can't always clearly see what you need to see. And so you have somebody, you know, with a fresh eyes or a fresh approach and not really knowing all the all the info that goes into the film, and then they come out, and what they take away from it is so important because, you know, it's, it's important that your message gets through. It's what somebody takes away, they're going to take away, and it doesn't have to be exactly what you wanted them to take away, but it has to be, you know, that something that fits with the message that you tried to give overall for the film. You know, so those kinds of screenings are just invaluable to, to help shape the film and really, you know, I mean, besides fixing little things that are wrong with it or inconsistencies or something that, you know, bothers somebody or a group of people, because, of course, you're really looking for, you know, more of um, agreement, you know, against a, 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 as opposed to single opinions from people. But... You know, it's really, really, it really kind of helps you shape the film towards the end once you kind of get to that. We've been doing, you know, screenings now since, gosh, for a year. I mean, I've been on the film for a year and a half, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, we've been doing screenings for about since last March, and, uh, you know, it's been interesting. It's really been interesting the difference that you get between, like, we did a screening, uh, which I wasn't there for. Craig Rosebra, the director, was there uh, up at, uh, an environmental law conference in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, and it's and it got like a huge, huge standing ovation. There was like 400 people there to see it. They loved it. All the different parts of it, and then you have an industry screening, and you get such a different vibe from that. Not that the people didn't appreciate the film. It's just you know how they're looking at it, what they're looking for in the film, and how it kind of works. Uh, from a marketing standpoint as opposed to really just what the content is. So, you know, you have to kind of not just have great content, you have to have something that, you know, that the people that are the marketing gurus feel like they're going to be able to sell, you know, and, and if they're, it's not in line with what they're thinking, whether or not they're thinking right, then you have a real hard time, you know, doing that. Um, so it's just, it's an interesting dichotomy that you kind of go through when you're, when you're doing You know, it is. Well, but you, this film is so, I mean, as far as documentaries go, it's so rich, it's so deep. I mean, this is not something that you are just doing surface reporting on. I mean, you know, in a documentary film, you're supposed to have a strong point of view, and you know, um, you know, you sometimes it could come out as very surface. But you know, what you did with the film and Craig Rosebron and the team, you know, you went very, very deep. You took a number of different things that were going around on around the world. I mean, devastation that's going on around the world. Mm-hmm. You filmed in different countries, so you have that all thing going on. So you're not domestically myopic, right? Right. right. I mean, you, you know, you you have all of this really, you know, visually um, stimulating footage. Um, yeah, it's you know. really it's really something. I mean, because we're we're trying to show what's happening, because it is a worldwide problem, of course, climate warming or climate change or whatever I tend to call climate warming. That seems to be the newer newer phrase these days. But, you know, I mean, there are so many things happening. But getting back to the marketing briefly, it's like it's really hard because for an American audience, which is really the first base for the film and where it has to find its success before it can go out worldwide, uh, or at least for this film, that's the way we're approaching it, um, you know, it's like, People in America are kind of myopic, so it's like, you know, you want to 
bring them the broader picture, yet show them how it's affecting them specifically. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why we did such, you know, such a, a huge amount of research. I mean, gosh, I personally spent myself doing hours and hours, hundreds of hours researching things. You know, besides the fact you have to be right, um, you know, you have to really kind of know what's all surrounding the particular subject matter. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we're actually doing right now and, and we're developing a little bit more in the film, because this is a really kind of very recent event, um, is there's starting to become a consensus um, between climate scientists on the connection between the climate warming and weather, you know, local weather, which has always been a very tough thing to connect the two together. Because really, you know, when you talk about climate warming, you're talking about trends, you know, decadal trends and all that kind of stuff. So that's really important to look at that. But now we're looking at what's happening just here in America, you know, with the drought, situation just just you know that's one thing out of a you know a bunch of different things we had flooding last year this year we have this horrible drought but also you have like texas that's been going through a decade-long drought you know you have in in colorado these horrendous wildfires that are really the worst in in quite some time there and you know they're they're saying that this is based basically because of the drought that's been going on there that's been pretty unprecedented since uh the dust bowl days um you know so it, it's really we're we're jumping on that now a bit um actually Craig is going to go and do another interview with uh, Kevin Trenberth who is the director of climate science at the National Center for Atmospheric Research and he's one guy that really has been kind of connecting these dots for uh, a little while now, kind of first really started to get serious science was being done on it around 2008, and now uh, it's really starting to come together. So Craig is going to go interview him so we could talk a little bit about that in the film, um, because it does, getting back to you know the myopic, myopic view of many Americans, you know it does speak to directly what's happening here. And then we can broaden it out to the world that hopefully with a little more firm base that people will say, okay, now I do care what's happening over here because it does mean that something's going to be happening to me too. You know? No, no, so. I think that, you know, and you, you know what, you were really getting there. When you talk about what happened with the oil spill, okay, mm-hmm. I think that does hit people here at home. I mean, yeah, I think yeah, that it really does. What you've done with the Shea interview and, um, you know, t- spending a lot, a lot of time down there and really uncovering some things that weren't brought to the surface by the news media in a big way. Um, I think that's gonna, I think that's gonna hit people. I don't know how many people know that, you know, people got very, very, very sick and they're continuing, you know, mm-hmm. to cope with their illness and that there has been some deaths. That, yeah, and then you know, we have the whole thing with the seafood situation, which is just incredible. You know, Craig had this test done on a, on a sh- on shrimp, and it's, you know, the, it's funny because the way the levels work, and we, have, we talk about this in the film of the levels of the hydrocarbon that, you know, stays in, um, in, in the different kinds of seafood, but we, again, focused on shrimp. And when he had the Exxon Valdez spell, spill, it was, um, I might be, a little bit wrong on some of these figures because I'm doing the top of my head, but 11 parts per billion. And then they changed it to, uh, when the Gulf spill happened, they changed it to 500 parts per million, and that's 45,000 times higher the concentration right there. Now, Craig did these tests on the shrimp, and they came out at 1,500 
parts per million, uh, which is three times higher than the 45,000 times higher than, you know, from when the, the uh, Valdez spill happened. So it's, it's quite an amount. And for people down in the Gulf particularly that eat that kind of stuff all the time, that really does mean something. You know, for somebody like me that consumes shrimp once in a while, it doesn't mean so much, though I don't want to eat shrimp like that. And actually every time I go out to dinner, I ask <laughs> where the shrimp is from. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you have to. Well, I mean, there are, there's shrimp that's exported, right? I mean, yeah, nice. yeah. so it's not, you don't only have to be living in the Gulf to be eating the tainted shrimp. No, it goes all over America, yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, I certainly have to think about eating shrimp because, you know, I, after I saw the movie in its earlier phases, that really affected me and the way that I behave. But this is a movie that doesn't just hit you on perception, it hits you with, you know, reality and how to react and, and behave. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that's why the core of this film, it's, it's going to really hit people hard once it goes to market. I, I really do believe that once it goes, you know, business to consumer, like mm-hmm. people are really going to change the way they behave. And I think that's what, as filmmakers, that you really want at the end of the day Yes, absolutely. We want to definitely have people kind of recognize the severity of the problem. And, I mean, I think, you know, the science is there. Of course, there's, you know, we we can get into the whole denial campaign. But, you know, the science is there as far as the consensus goes. And you have really intelligent scientists that don't agree with portions of it. You know, but any scientist worth his salt these days agrees that it is happening. Um, And so, you know, I mean, uh, we as, uh, as just, you know, regular humans have to kind of see how can we help to make changes, and yeah, our, our everyday lives, we have to make changes in our everyday lives and our consumer choices, and, you know, consuming less is really the biggest thing that we can do. It is. Uh, we got to take a commercial break, Patrick, okay. so let's talk more about it. We'll go a little bit more into detail um, about these issues after this break. For people to find out more about this film, go into, click into www.greedylyingbastards.com. Don't go away. We'll be back with more. With Patrick Gambuti. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where you're Opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back 
to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back, and we're talking about the documentary film In the Making, and it's called Greedy Lying Bastards, and it's at the point where final edits are being made and hopefully will be taken to the marketplace, you know, very, very soon. But um, the lessons have been to make it right instead of right away, particularly with all of the vast changes that are taking place day in, day out in, um, you know, with meteorology and, you know, climate change and, you know, and politics. Right, Patrick? Yes, the politics. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, there's another storyline that weaves in and out of all of this and, you know, a little bit about the Koch brothers and who yeah, they are but- and what they do and what you've discovered. Sure. The Koch brothers are... Uh, Two of the richest people in the world, uh, their combined wealth is somewhere around $50 billion, their personal assets. Uh, they run Coke Industries and a bunch of other side businesses. They're into everything, oil, coal, uh, consumer goods, cattle ranches. I mean, they're just they're, they're kind of pretty diverse these days, but they're really their kind of core business is the oil business. And in that, they're very interested on in not having any re- or as little regulation as possible regarding the industry and what happens to it. So in that, you know, in that mindset, they went after, and, you know, they have a lot of different agendas, you know, as far as uh, what they're trying to reach from the conservative side of the fence, uh, kind of really ultra-conservative side of the fence. But, you know, when it comes to climate change, they really, really finance this denial campaign. Uh, they're, they're a big part of the financing. Them and Exxon are two of the biggest financers of the denial campaign. And, uh, you know, that involves everything from think tanks to, uh, you know, these grassroots groups that really aren't, you know, what we think of as grassroots is, you know, people getting together and trying to make a change. But you have something like Americans for Prosperity, which was started by David Koch. And, uh, you know, they're really kind of going on his agenda. He's still the CEO of that, and they're going on his agenda. And his agenda for them, you know, has to do with fighting any kind of legislation that's going to affect their personal wealth. Um, and they're, they're, again, ultra-conservative views. I mean, they, they say they're free market thinkers, but they really kind of want to control them market is, is my view on it. Um, so, you know, so they finance things like this. So you have a mouthpiece like uh, Tim Phillips that goes out there and just kind of, you know, talks to the talking points that they wanted to talk about. And they made a huge push in 2009 stopping any kind of climate legislation. And they were successful from stopping any kind of climate legislation from happening regarding climate change. Um, which was really a problem for us as a country because the world is kind of looking for us to lead in this issue. And we had the uh, Copenhagen Climate Summit that year, and they really, by, by stopping us from having any, any good uh, legislation, which had passed in the, in the Congress but didn't make it even get discussed in the Senate, um, you know, it, it, it didn't allow us as a country to walk into Copenhagen with any kind of sure footing on where we were going with it, and therefore it was a big Part of the reason why that that summit failed. There's a there's a ton of different reasons. But getting back to the Koch brothers, um, you know, so they also finance things like the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a think tank, uh, you know, and that one's really that was founded by Charles, brother Charles, and um, you know that has uh, Patrick Michaels in, involved with that, who is their kind of head climate scientist, 
And he recognizes that climate change is happening, but he doesn't really, he doesn't recognize the potential severity of it. You know, you, can, you get into all different kind of levels, and we don't know until it comes, but why should we, you know, roll the dice with this, with our, our children's and our grandchildren's lives? You know, I just, I don't see the... the the value of doing that, um, you know. So they have things like that, and also they were involved with one of the biggest things. And we talk about this in the film um, with the Citizens United decision. Um, actually, they they uh, were so deeply involved with this; it's kind of uh, absurd and, and pretty scandalous in my mind. Um, on a couple of different levels. Uh, first, they had, uh, you know, they have a relationship with two of the justices, and we really talk about the one being Clarence Thomas, who attends their events and gets paid for speaking at their events. And uh, one event that happened the year that this Citizens United case was brought into the Supreme Court, he was speaking at one of these events, which was talking about climate finance, um, climate, um, sorry, campaign financing rules. And basically, that's what this case is about. So Clarence Thomas really should have recused himself from the case because of his involvement with these people. But then we dug deeper, and we found out that Clarence Thomas, when he was being um, being approved to be a, a Supreme Court justice, he had some problems with some of, you know, he, he almost didn't get uh, approved through the Senate because of the way, you know, the whole case with Anita Hill and all that. But basically, uh, Citizens United went and did commercials in support of Clarence Thomas and attacking the senators that were, you know, thinking about voting against him. So, I mean, he's had this relationship that with these different areas of this case that he should have recused himself, and then we wouldn't have this, this you know, really potentially disastrous ruling from them. Not only that, they had the Cato Institute uh, and a couple of other institutes that they fund um, provided amicus briefs to the court, which are basically, you know, this is my opinion on based on findings that we found, and, and here's what we think about how you should rule about this. So they had that. They had a lawyer that's attached to them that, that is part of this Federalist Society, um, and which they, they run, uh, which kind of deals with legislation and whatnot. Um, this lawyer that, and also he was a personal, I forget exactly his attachment personally with them, but anyways, he was the guy that, that uh, argued the case. So they were so interconnected with that, and the Citizens United decision has basically changed our democracy because it's allowed huge organizations, and right and left. I mean, you have unions are as, as allowed as well as corporations, so the corporations are the ones that are really dumping the money in, and they don't have to tell anybody that they're dumping the money into something. Like where these attack ads are coming from, people don't have to know, and that's that's besides the fact that they're allowed to put all this endless amount of money in now, they don't have to tell anybody where it's coming from. And I think that that's really a disastrous thing for our nation. It is. Well, I mean, you know, there is good news. There are other popular, um, you know, popular television shows and other things in the pop culture that shed a light on this. Like mm-hmm. the new show, the new HBO show, Aaron Sorkin's show, The Newsroom. Have you seen it, Patrick? I did actually. I was watching it uh, Sunday night when they had the episode. My wife and I are actually watching a little bit of TV, and that's the one th- one of the things that we decided to watch. And uh, they had a great segment on the Koch brothers. It was really good. I mean, it's um, you know. I, so I think that from different places, little lights are being shined on these issues. You know, the mm-hmm. show Beep also with. Um, you know, with Julie Dreyfus, Julie Marie Dreyfus, um, you know, she, it also kind of, it, it's very, um, 
you know, sarcastic and, um, you know, it's a parody, but it kind of makes fun of what goes on in these, you know, behind the scenes in politics. Right, right. And, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's, I'm glad to see that people are starting to finally kind of shed a light on the cokes. It's really important that, you know, people see what they've been doing because, you know, they also are so involved with ALEC, the uh, American Legislative Exchange Council, and, um, you know, and they're, they're a group of people that are um, basically they kind of write laws and, and hand them off to Congress people and say, here's how we want this law to sound like. Uh, and they passed a lot of different things that through, and it's, again, it's this kind of ultra-conservative view, um, you know, in all different kinds of areas. They, they kind of deal with all kinds of things, and the Koch brothers are a big sponsor of them. They're also, you know, a sponsor of the Heartland Institute, and the Heartland Institute is, uh, luckily, they're kind of falling apart because of different things that they've done, and people have backed away from them. They had this this billboard. Did you hear about that? The billboard out in uh, Ohio, uh, where they related uh, climate change people that believe in climate change to uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Right, um, right. Yeah, because he had you know environmental views, and so they're saying, well, if you you believe in this, then you're like him. You know, you're killing. You know, and and unfortunately, it's really the other way around because the people that are allowing aren't allowing us to do anything about it are the ones that are going to end up hurting the people. You know, in the long run. So uh, it's it's interesting to see that how the tentacles kind of reach out into so many different areas. It, no, it really does. Also, more recently, um, people can check out a segment with an interview with Craig Rosebra and Daryl Hanna that ran on Current TV, Young Turks, um, where Daryl really, the executive producer of the film, really um, is very passionate about how this is all affecting us today. Yeah, she's great. You know, it was just a great addition to the team, and it was really nice to have her involved in the film and getting her insight and her, you know, kind of her how her passion is definitely infectious. <laughs> it's very, very infectious. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, she's, um, you know, she'll make, she'll, she's really, um, you know, very focused in making the world see how that is affecting each and every one of us today. It really does. I mean, it's amazing how all these things are touching us. I mean, even just, you know, here in, I live out in New Jersey, and the way the weather has just been around here lately, you know, it really is starting to affect people. Um, And it it is good to, you know, to have somebody that can be out there and speaking to all these different points on a regular basis uh, that people are willing to listen to. You know, it's really nice to have somebody, you know, with that kind of a reach, you know, really kind of bringing these subjects to light. Uh, It's just enormously helpful. No, it really, really is. Um, Well, we're going to come to the end of this segment shortly, but the next segment, the last segment, Patrick, it's going to be your segment, and you're going to talk about everything you're doing. It's like your live bio. Okay. (laughs) So, um, I mean, there's one other thing that I want to talk about before we close this segment out, though. People don't really, I don't know if people really know about um, the use of the dispersant in... um, the Gulf and how that really made people okay. sick. Do you want to just talk about that? Sure, sure. Corexit is um, the dispersant they use. It has a number attached to it. There's different versions of it, but um, 
they used this also the same one in Alaska for the Valdez spill, going back to that, and uh, it made the people there that were working on it very, very sick. And there's people, the, I read an article somewhere where the average age for the people that were working heavy duty with this chemical, the uh, average age uh, expectancy, life expectancy for them is like 52 years old, which is horrible. A lot of those people are hitting that age right now, uh, and it's just horrible to hear that. And you see down in the Gulf, I mean, what happened was that they they used this dispersant to break up the oil, uh, partly because they were going to get fined uh, $4,500 per barrel of oil spilled. So you, you multiply that times, uh, you know, 40. 4.5 million barrels, whatever it was that spilled into the Gulf. Uh, so they were trying to disperse that and hide it from the public. Uh, also trying to keep it from reaching the shore was another one of the reasons. But the thing is, it got mixed into everything, and so the oil wasn't able to be collected. And then what happened was that it turned, as they were spraying it onto the ocean, you know, the winds picked it up, and then that blew it across into into the, the, the surrounding areas. So people that were, you know, not just people that were in the ocean got sick, uh, that went swimming and told the ocean was clean in different areas, and we have uh, Steve Ogmanaga uh, in the film who got very sick from it, and his friend uh, Merrick Valium died um, shortly after swimming in the Gulf. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't do an autopsy on him, but he was you know, otherwise a healthy guy. Um, and then Steve has been having all these different symptoms related to chemical exposure. Uh, we also talked to Clayton Malvern who was very sick, and he's ended up up having one of his legs has become paralyzed. He has all kinds of problems with his lungs. Uh, you know, there's, there's issues with skin lesions, which are more uh, things that happen right away, but then there's the long-term problems with autoimmune disease issues, and there's all that kind of stuff. That exposure to this chemical has happened, and they knew that before they sprayed it, and they still to this day say that it's not really hazardous, uh, except for in their own internal things, which they have, you know, internal uh, memos and whatnot going back and forth about it, but they don't say it out into the public, and they say that, no, it's not, it's not harmful, and, you know, well, this is why we're using this, and, but it's very, is. It's, uh, it's, it's very, very scary. Have to cut you off for the end of this segment. We could finish that up in the next segment a little bit and talk sure. all about you, Patrick M. Booty Jr. Okay. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Oh my god! 
Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We've been speaking with Patrick Gambuti Jr., who is an Emmy Award-winning editor, and um, we've been talking about the movie Greedy Lying Bastards, www.greedylyingbastards.com. But Patrick has a very long, impressive um, CV. Um, he has worked on projects including Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, At the Edge of the World, After the Cups, Sons of... Um, Think Meme United, and um, you're currently working on Wrench, the legacy of the Monkey Wrench Gang. You've had a long career, Patrick. Yeah, I've been at this for, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. So I've worked on so many different films and uh, different kinds of bios that were really interesting. It's great because I've learned so much through the course of all this, um, you know, and just got, you know, and the, the inside scoop on so many different things. It's, it's amazing uh, the variety of stuff out there that you can just kind of really latch on to and learn about. It's really been kind of a kind of a fun career as far as that goes. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed it. How does one uh, start? How does one start, Patrick, if they want to be, you know, a writer and an editor? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. You know it's, uh, it's a tough one. All I ever wanted to be was a rock and roll drummer when I started way back when and needed to find something else because I wasn't making money doing that. So, um, you know, it's, it, there's so many different ways to get into it. Uh, I've kind of, like, writing has started is something that I've been doing over the last four or five, six years uh, where I really kind of it came naturally out of my editing. So, uh, but editing, you know, it's... When I started editing, there was like an easier in uh, because they had there was you know all these huge facilities all over. Again, you know I'm in the you know out of the New York market, so you know there was all these big facilities in New York, and so you know you could go in there and kind of start off as an assistant editor um, and kind of work your way into editing and learn how to edit from all these different groups of people. And you know, and now it's kind of harder because there aren't that many of those facilities around. There's some, and so you're kind of like you know you, you get. Out of, you know, if you go to, I didn't go to film school, but if you go to, you know, get out of film school, some people are lucky and they get going and they get working on films right away, but a lot of people come out and are really kind of floundering trying to find work because you don't really have anything yet to base it on. So you have to kind of get in there and start interning in whatever genre you really want to work in. And that's, that's to me, the biggest, most important thing is really figure out what it is you want to work on. You know, for me, I started, I needed to make money, so I was working on anything. But, you know, if really, idealistically, you want to figure what you want to work on and then attack that genre and start interning, um, you know, wherever you can to, get, to gain experience so that then you can kind of get into the other aspects and work on your own projects so you can start gaining some chops as far as, you know, editing goes and whatnot. And that's really kind of the way that you need to kind of make it work these days. Um, you know, I've been, I've been lucky that, you know, since the, I've been I've been on my own for the uh, since '99, and uh, you know just working on all different kinds of films, and that's all word of mouth. But I had already you know before that point been working in the industry for you know 12 or 13 years um, on all different kinds of stuff. I mean you know I I, I worked on gosh. Uh, one of my favorite, I worked on a couple of bios. Actually, let me tell you, the first place I worked at, believe it or not, was Goldman Sachs. They had this AV division there, and I kind of started there doing editing and camera work and all that kind of stuff on all their internal communications, which is interesting. 
they've been involved in so many things that have changed our world also. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been, uh, been really interesting. I mean, one of my favorite, you know, way back when shows that I worked on was uh, about Ella Fitzgerald, and that was just amazing to kind of learn about her and her life and get to see all this amazing, all these amazing performances that she did. She was just phenomenal. You know, so I got to learn a little bit exposed really deeply into her music, um, you know, and then I, then I, you know, and also way back when I started working on stuff in the environment, you know, I did a show that won a regional Emmy for educational stuff uh, called What's Up in the Environment, it was on a PBS station, and that kind of was talking about all the, this was a long time ago, but it was talking about all the things that were new at that point in time, and it was kind of a, a career-based kind of show, and so they were kind of showing different areas that you could get involved with, you know, and so that was, that was a fun one. Uh, to work on because I've been, you know, interested in environmental issues for years. Uh, and then I kind of got into my uh, mental illness phase, uh, which was really interesting. I worked on a, a film about depression, which had uh, two guys now that have passed in it, uh, Mike Wallace and William Styron, the writer William Styron, uh, and another uh, woman um, that was just wonderful, a psychologist that was just wonderful. And, uh, you know, it really was really incredible to kind of start to really learn the depths that this, you know, that this disease can take people. Um, and these people were just so candid and honest. It was just amazing. Um, and then I worked on one, uh, which I won Miami for editing, um, on uh, suicide, which uh, uh, the director of that, Ames Yates, his brother had committed suicide. And so he wanted to make a film about suicide, but really more about, you know, how what happens to the people that are left behind? Um, you know, as so as opposed to the people committing suicide and the issues surrounding that. Though we did cover that, um, but it was really uh, a, a, a painful experience to go through. Um, that's one of the things you get so deeply involved with these. You know, so you have to be passionate about the subject if you're working on documentaries, especially or any long form thing. You have to be passionate about the subject because you're going to be in it so deep and so long that you really have to really. It really has to touch you deeply, and that just really, really, uh, at that time, the director was already still a friend of mine, but, um, you know, we we had become friends after working for several years together, and, uh, you know, when this happened, it was horrendous for the family, and then he, he it was kind of a catharsis for him to make the film, and it was very hard. It was one of my, the first films that I really got, um, you know, where I really started to become more... Uh, of a voice in the film because it was so hard for him to make the film and to kind of, you know, so he wasn't there a lot, essentially, because uh, it was just so painful for him. And, uh, you know, so we, but we worked, you know, very, very hard on that film. And it came out pretty good, and it really spoke to the to the issue he wanted to speak to, so I was happy that it worked out pretty well. Um, and then we did one on panic, uh, panic attacks, called Panic. Um, and that I actually won an Emmy for... Uh, Sound design, which was kind of cool, because that was a part of it. I have a tiny little bit of it, and my my anxiety kind of comes to the surface. And it, a lot of times, it's related to sounds that I hear that starts these kind of feelings inside me. But it was interesting because at the time, and this had um, I don't know if you remember Earl Campbell, the football player. He used to play for the Cowboys and somebody else. I forget where he finished his career at, but uh, he was a pretty famous uh, football player back in the day. And I guess this was. Mm, 
mid-to-late 80s when he was big. Uh, but him and Kim Basinger was in it, and um, which was wonderful. The interview she gave was just very deep and wonderful. And uh, at the time, it was considered to be kind of a wimp disease, you know, like people really weren't even looking at it as a disease. You know, it's like, oh, you just can't handle life, you know, that kind of thing. And I think we really were able to shed a little bit of a light on, on how, this, how this disease really does affect people. Um, because it does affect them deeply. Um, you know, at one point, uh, Kim couldn't go out of her house for, for six months. You know, and here's a movie star that can't get out of her house. You know, it's just kind of crazy the way that it hits people and it just comes out of the blue. Um, and then, I don't know, I mean, there's just so many different things that I worked on. One thing that's actually still to this day is going around HBO World was um, a film that we made on methamphetamine abuse called, um, and this I made with Ames as well, um, called Crank Made in America. And uh, we had a special screening before Congress with this. It was really, uh, you know, a big to-do at the time because it was really when the epidemic was really, really reaching its heights. And, uh, you know, so that that was a deeply disturbing film, how, how this drug just, just attacks people. It's it's amazing the the addictiveness of it, and it's still a drug that's around, and people are still too deeply into it. There's that show Breaking Bad about the guy being a meth cooker. I haven't seen it, but um, I don't watch a lot of TV because I'm generally working on stuff and in front of a monitor all day. So TV is the last thing. Right, really it's not. Do. It's not relaxing all the time. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. So. Um, and then, uh, you know, some of the ones that you mentioned, more recent stuff, uh, like Fat Sick Nearly Dead, I didn't edit on, I was a story consultant on, and that's actually um, been seen by millions of people now, it's on Netflix, it's, it's such a wonderful thing, and it's about juicing, and it's about these two guys that had had this uh, disease called Uticaria vasculitis, and it's an autoimmune disease where you have a problem of a sensation on your skin that's extremely painful, like if you shake somebody's hand or anything like that. You know, like he, the one guy was talking about, you know, he put his niece on his shoulders and how, how much pain he would be in from doing that because he had a flare-up from this disease. And anyway, both of these guys were pretty, pretty seriously overweight. And uh, the one, uh, one guy started it, and he went on a 60-day juice fast, a vegetable juice fast. And actually right now my son and I are, are, are not doing a fast but we're doing some serious juicing we're just having one meal a day and and juicing the rest of the day and that kind of you know that came from that because it's really really good for you it helps you can do a fast and really clean yourself out uh, but anyways this this these guys were on uh, the one guy in particular was on like 15 milligrams of prednisone a day now that's a huge amount I mean it's just it's really incredible like this is a long-term use that he was on it and what it does to your body is horrible and um so he went on this fast to, to try to fix himself, and he ended up actually getting off to prednisone. He doesn't have any flare-ups anymore from the disease. Uh, it's still, you know, it doesn't go away completely, but he hasn't had any flare-ups in, in a while now. It's been probably, I guess, two years now. Um, and, uh, you know, he lost all this weight, and, and that was a big part of the problem, you know, was this weight. And um, I've been trying to talk my brother-in-law into doing this because he has this other autoimmune disease called sarcoidosis, which um, is, is a terrible thing that attacks the lungs. And, uh, you know, it just seems like this, this juicing, you know, really kind of 
really gets your body chemistry back in line to what it should be. Uh, and so that's, that's the reason why I'm doing it. And, uh, you know, so it's really a, an interesting film to take a peek at on Netflix. Um, uh, it's really, really good for anybody out there that's, you know, kind of got any kind of issues like that. Uh, I would definitely take a look at it and see how it changed these guys' lives. Um, and then uh, actually just finished up another film that's actually on, they're doing a, um, uh, another. This was another kind of bio documentary on Bill Wilson, the co-founder of AA, and uh, that one out right now. They're they're doing uh, independent distribution. They're trying that route and being very successful. Actually, in one uh, in one theater that they were in, uh, they they out uh, they did more money. They made more money than Prometheus did on that weekend. So that was kind of cool. They were well, no, it is very, well, listen, you do a lot of stuff that's issues oriented and yeah. really, um, you know, you hope to change the world one person at a time, right? And, yep. um, you know, I want to congratulate you for, you know, sort of diving into all of this stuff because this is very heady and People don't understand that when a person is writing a film or editing a film that it becomes very all-encompassing and you right. sometimes can't be all that social. Right, yeah. You know, so um, it's, uh, I really applaud people that, you know, take this on and so dedicated, spend so much time, you know, behind the scenes before you can bring an issue to the surface. And uh, we're coming to the end of the show. I, I told you that we would have you on for about 40 minutes, and mm-hmm. here we are. And uh, anything you want to add about Greedy Lying Bastards um, since we had discussed this in the first two segments? Uh, no, I think we covered it pretty well. There's so many different issues. I would like to put one little plug in for the film that I'm working on right now, which is Wrenched, uh, The Legacy of the Monkey Wrench Gang. And it's uh, at Abby's book about uh, you know, radical environmentalism. And the film is, is basically covering what ha- what's happened with radical invent- environmentalism out in the West over the years and why things have quieted down and what needs to happen to keep things changing to, to stop the destruction, specifically out there but worldwide that's happening from the oil industry. So it was a great, and the coal industry and the energy industries and other industries, but it's a great follow-up film for me after Greedy Lying Bastards because it's still talking about what these corporations are doing to our planet and you know ways that we can kind of go about trying to stop them. And I want to thank you for spending some time with us. Wish you luck with all of your projects. Looking forward to continued work with Greedy Lying Bastards, and we'll have you on again real soon. Okay, thanks, Cindy. Really appreciate it. All right, you take care. Everybody have a really great, safe weekend, and we'll talk more next week. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American Idol. Synthetic to soul. I kill my mother to get up on the TV screen. I am a death row psycho. I am a tabloid criminal. I am everything you love to be. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At BR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. BR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of BR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. BR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. 